Welcome to a financial planning podcast. The down-to-earth vibe Sasquatch listens while dusting his abode. This is Through the Pines. On this episode, we will discuss managing your own money. Should you do it or should you hand it off to a financial planner? Questions like, do I have the passion and consistency to maintain an investment portfolio? Do I have the competency, background, and confidence to build a portfolio and stick to it? Do I have the time and long-term discipline to regularly invest or reinvest and do the research? Will my portfolio stay within a percentage or two of a professionally managed portfolio? Finally, why can't I just buy and hold something? Uh, We'll answer these questions and more on this episode of Through the Pines. So bringing in our advisors for this episode, Forbes Best in State Wealth Management Teams for Utah, along, along with the Advisor Hub Fastest Growing Advisors to Watch Under One billion dollars receivers of the ameriprise client experience award we have rex and brandon rex baxter brandon smith planwithbaxter.com rex thanks for joining us on the program today tell me why i'm not smart enough to manage my own money well before i tell you why you're not smart then let me just say thank you for having me on the show let's start with that Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. You can butter me up a little bit first. Yeah. yeah. Let me butter That's you fine. up. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, we honestly take the stance that all of our clients are really smart, right? And and most of them are extremely smart in, in different areas, typically in their own field or, or, you know, an area of, of interest and, and things like that. However, just because you're extremely, you know, brilliant in one area doesn't always translate to other areas. And so it's not that you're not smart. You're very smart, right? I mean, you can run a podcast, you know, you can run circles around me in in the podcasting world. Amen to that. Amen to that. And so, I mean, you look into the camera, you have the right light, you have the microphone, the headphones, you've got the technology, you've got the tools. And, uh, and I don't, I would just be, you know, playing at at your game. So, so I, I think that's what it comes down to is, is, people are smart and they're plenty smart. And, and if somebody wants to focus in that, you know, they can do that and and they can do all the reading, they can do all the research. They certainly have that ability. Lucky for us and the ability for us to live our dreams. A lot of people choose not to make that their passion and not to make that their hobby. And that's lots of times who we work with is those that are too busy um, or don't tend to have the interest or inclination to do it. Um, and haven't spent the time to educate themselves on on you know how to how to manage money and how to do their own planning. So. Well, how how long does it take? In other words, if I was going to manage my own money, doesn't it take like once a month sitting down and looking at my income versus outgoing and and in my investments and just you know and just take a few hours each month to to manage my own money? Like, what does hiring a manager, a professional, do? That is different from someone just checking their portfolios weekly, monthly, something like that. Well, I, I think there's a lot that that plays into that. And it's it's not just the managing or rebalancing of the portfolios or not just putting your cash flows and, and measuring your net worth and, and looking at different variables and projections. But I think a lot of it is, be, is behavioral as well. And, and you'll hear us frequently say that you know, people make terrible decisions when they're emotional. And, and you know, what do keep people get most emotional about? Their money, right? And so typically people, when they get emotional about their money, they make terrible decisions. And it's nice to have 
someone there to, to bounce ideas off of to see if you're really making a good logical decision and, and thinking with a clear head as, as you're making those decisions. And so I, I think that's a lot of what advisors bring to the table. So you, you know, you, you do have a large portfolio of clients. Um, when, when you come across someone who has managed their own portfolio for a certain amount of time, what's one of the main mistakes or, or areas of improvement that you notice right away? Brandon, do you want to chime in on this one? Yeah, He's like, I'm ready. <laughs> usually it's rate of return, right? Like you look at it and, and the, and the management of the funds just, it, it just wasn't right. And, and what, what happens and, and it's interesting because I'll, I'll, oftentimes I'll ask people, so how do you choose it? You know, not trying to pin them down and say, what were you thinking, but just, just curious. And, and some, I mean, it's the, the answers I get, you would be astounded by, right? People, well, I don't know. I just, I just kind of selected all of them and split it between, you know, or they, or they will, um, one, one, I heard a guy just looked at all the past performance from the prior year and said, whichever ones did the best, he like took those top two or three and put it all in that. The, the problem with that is, is, you know, why did it do well, right? Did it just, it essentially, we all know that in, in investing, we want to buy low and sell high. Well, if you're looking for all the ones that have just run and gone high and you buy all those, you're, you're doing literally the exact opposite of what you should be doing. And so we, we kind of came up with these topics because we get this a lot. And, and like Rick said, anybody can manage their own portfolio. It just, do you have the time? Do you have the competency? And, and if you do it, you know, are you going to stay within that realm, right? Within that price range of if you had just paid someone to do it anyway. And so we wanted to go through these questions and, and, and really answer each of them. The first four, if you can answer yes to the first four, then, then I think, I, I think you've got a pretty good shot, you know, of, of managing your portfolio. If you come back and you say no to even one of them, it really probably would be in your best interest not to try and manage it yourself just because the stakes are so high. What happens when you manage it poorly is dramatic. I mean, we can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars if we do this wrong. Or Maybe millions. Yeah. So, so the questions, the four questions, like you said, okay, so number one, do I have the passion and consistency to maintain an investment portfolio? So passion is arguable, but what, what do you mean by consistency? Yeah, you can't just this. And we get clients that, that will get into stock or trading, right? And sometimes right when they retire, they have nothing else to do. So they're like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to really get into this and, and start doing a lot of research. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's it's good mental stimulation um, with a real purpose to actually research and, and, and choose and pick stocks. But most times those clients will just carve out a, a piece, right? And then they'll run those decisions by us so we can make sure they're doing the right thing um, and not getting too, too out on any, any far edge. But for the most part, right, if, if this turns into just a short-term hobby that you do for three months and then you forget and time goes by and you haven't looked at your portfolio for six months, a year, two, three, four years, well, then all of a sudden, you know, we may have missed some significant opportunities. And so when we say, do we have the passion and consistency to maintain a portfolio? It needs to be more than just a fad for you, right? It needs to be, hey, I'm going to be dedicated in consistently researching these things, right? We might buy this stock or this ETF that today, but six months from now, that might be the wrong decision or that weighting that the amount we own might be the wrong decision. And so are you going to be consistent in, in monitoring and making sure that all your decisions are where you want them? 
Okay. So what's the difference between using a financial planner to manage a portfolio and someone who wants to just, you know, play in the market and uh, trade stocks, do some day trades and stuff like that? I think a lot of it is, is outcome and how we're, how we're building the portfolio, right? When you say day trade and, and pick stocks, I think that's fun. And I think a lot of clients enjoy doing that. But the last thing you'd want to do is take your entire life savings and your retirement and, and place it on a bet. Right. And so when, when people come to us, most times, like Rex said, they're not interested in us, like giving them day trading advice or, or, or the hottest stock to buy. Right. They're interested in getting consistent, reliable returns and doing the best thing they can with their money. Right. Making making your portfolio as efficiently as possible to accomplish goals like retirement, vacations, things like that. And so when we manage money for clients, we'll, we'll sit down, we'll sit down with them figure out what their risk tolerance is, right? How much can we allow this portfolio to move in return for, for growth, right? Um, and, and help them kind of place, put those two things together. Rex, what's consistency over time mean to you as far as building a portfolio and managing it? So consistency over time to me means somebody that's going to spend time regularly on a regular basis, whether that's daily, weekly, or monthly, certainly not longer than that in analyzing their investments, looking at what they own and why they own it, and making sure that it's still in alignment with their overall risk profile. And, and I think being able to do that month after month after month after month is the consistency component of that. What we find a lot of times is somebody, again, will get extremely passionate about it for very short windows of time. They'll get passionate about it for a month or two, and then all of a sudden they'll get distracted with, with life with family, with work, with um, a hobby, with a side hustle, with something. And then all of a sudden it, it sits there dormant for six months, a year, five years for some amount of time. And then they look up again and then they get passionate about it again for another two months. And then that cycle continues. That's not consistency. And so at least not in my mind. Um, I mean, it's consistently inconsistent, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And so I, I think that's what we're talking about. I, I do think that there's a distinction between, you know, you, you reference financial planners and I know it's, it's a terminology issue, but, but not everybody that does financial planning is a portfolio manager and manages portfolios. You know, Brandon and I are accredited portfolio manager advisors, meaning that we manage money as part of our business. And, and so I think that when you're looking at different financial advisors and you're looking at different, you know, people that are working on your planning, things along those lines, that you, you ensure that they're qualified to do the job that you're hiring them to do. And so you, you don't want to go, you know, to, you know, somebody selling auto insurance to get your car repaired necessarily, if, if that's a good example. So, but, <laughs> Okay. Um, all right. Well, Rex, talk about your competency then, because you've been in the industry since uh, essentially you graduated college. But so what type of comp competency does it take to manage your own money? Uh, have the background and comp and this is question number two. So if you can answer yes to this, then you should manage your own money. Do I have the competency, background and confidence to build a portfolio and stick to it? You know, how much do you need to know? How much competency competency is that versus, and like you said earlier, it's like, it's not necessarily an, an intelligence or smart thing, but maybe an experience thing. Yeah. So I, I think we're always learning, right? And so, it, you know, we're always reading, we're always learning, we're, we're, 
paying attention to the markets, we're paying attention to the to the financial literature that's out there, and and looking at different strategies, looking at you know different different things that that are being done in the financial markets. Now, you know, both Brandon and I do have you know financial degrees from from accredited universities. You know, we're both accredited portfolio managers. I have 25 years of experience. Brandon's got over a decade of experience. So, you know, we do have quite a bit of experience in managing money and managing portfolios. And we understand risk. We understand, you know, all, all of the, you know, the, the Greek alphabet that's done with finance, the alphas, the betas, the, yeah. you know, the. Yeah, but, the gammas, but Rex, the, I, I read The Millionaire Next Door. Oh, you did? I read Think and Grow Rich. Great book. Another you know, great book. I read, you know, you know what I mean? Like I I read all these books. I got it. It's on un, it's under control. I know what to do now. And I know you're you're baiting us with that, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> but things do change. Interest rates environments change, right? What what worked 10 years ago doesn't necessarily perfectly translate over. I mean, we you can you can roughly get it, but you're not gonna squeeze out all the juice that you can get, right? And ultimately why wouldn't you have someone else do it? Usually it's because you're trying to save on cost. And and then if we don't, you know, if we don't get all the juice out of it, even though we saved on cost, we end up with less money. Right. Okay. And so, so, you know, are we going to subscribe to different research um, analysis programs? Are we staying on top of macro environments globally, as well as, you know, fiscally and everything else going on within, um, within the world of finance? Are we up to date? Where so that when everybody else is is shifting the way that they should, you know, are you being left behind or left out of it? And is that going to end in a costly error? The, the other thing that I'd like to point out, too, is, is anybody can build a really good portfolio that they feel really good about when the markets are up. When markets are climbing over and over and over again, people just I mean, it, it feels good, right? You pick something. You may not have picked the most efficient thing, but you pick something and it grew and it feels good. Um, but then what happens if all of a sudden the markets crash or they start going down it, it, with our clients, we can sit down and say, Hey, we planned for this. We, we didn't know when the markets were going to crash, but we knew they would. And this is why we built the portfolio like this so that we can weather these storms here, the minor adjustments we've made because we had to right? with, with changing markets, but, but having that fortitude to stay the course makes all the difference in the world. The only clients I've ever talked to, the, the people I've ever talked to who are still in pain from 2008, and I didn't have them as clients in 2008, but the ones that, that are still in pain from 2008 are the ones that didn't have the fortitude, they didn't have the confidence to stick with the plan. Everybody else recovered in, in about four years. It wasn't like a devastating event if you were if you had your portfolio built properly and you had the confidence in the portfolio to write it through. And I don't think that changes in the future. I think there will be more events almost for sure like that, where you have to have confidence going in and be able to ride it out and get to the other side. All right. So you brought up cost, Brandon. So how do you, what's your response to those who say, well, for the cost, I'd, I'd prefer to manage my own money. Yeah. I would just say, and, and Rex are incredibly straightforward, right? We typically, not always, but typically are charging between one and 2%, right? Depending on assets. If we're managing more, it's it's lower. If we're managing less, it can be higher. And, but, uh, but ultimately, I mean, it, if you're looking at that, is your portfolio, let's say you're at 1%, is your portfolio going to stay up and keep up with our portfolios that we're regularly, 
regularly monitoring and watching and making adjustments to? Are you going to stay within 1% of that per performance long term? And if the answer is no, or I'm not sure, then, then it probably doesn't make any sense, right? Why would you, you know, if we're going to do it for you and then do a better job, we kind of earned our keep on that, right? And then in addition to that, we have the extra management and, and, and making sure everything, you know, is looking good. So anyway, just thought that was, yeah. Rex, what's your answer to those um, who, who balk at cost? You know, I, I think there's, there's a saying out there that's been quoted in many, many books, but, but cost is only an issue in the absence of value. And so, you know, those that, that see the value in what we bring and, and experience that understand that the cost is a small percentage of the picture. Of, of what we bring to the table. And it's not just performance, right? It's also, you know, managing and navigating the behavioral side of this. It's also the financial planning. It's also looking at different financial strategies to try and minimize taxes or increase the amount of money that we keep from generation to generation and, and kind of your legacy planning or more efficient ways to gift money. All, all of those other things that financial advisors bring to the table. And so I, I think, I think, you know, cost is is that issue, but I do think that there's such a media push on cost that that people are hypersensitive to it, and I and I think it's appropriate to be, you know, sensitive to it and aware because you don't want to overpay because that does at the end of the day it takes money you know away from the final picture. The question is, are you getting more in value for that cost, or are you not? And you know, obviously we're in business because we are firm believers that we bling, bring value. bling, that we bring uh, bling, no, not, plenty of value. Uh, to, or to bring bling. I mean, I'm okay <laughs> with bringing the bling. I like this Facebook <laughs> comment because it said he's, uh, this Facebook user says, uh, I'm sold using a financial. So there's the cost that you guys incur that you charge the client. But then this, this comment says using a financial advisor has not only helped my portfolio, but also saved me from making expensive mistakes. So there's a cost there in making a mistake. What are some of the mistakes that someone can make if they don't, if they try to manage their own money? I'd reference our other podcast, <laughs> all the mistakes. Yeah. Man, we could go on for days and days about, about mistakes. And, and, and whoever made that comment, they're, they're absolutely right. Sitting down, I mean, us managing a portfolio, do I believe that we can, you know, outpace and, and help someone with a portfolio and, and manage that money and, and make up the cost? Absolutely. But beyond that, the costly mistakes, I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge piece of this that we'll meet with clients and they'll tell us what we're doing and we'll say, have you considered this or are we sure we're, you know, why haven't you considered this? And, and it can make huge, huge differences in portfolios. And, and so, yeah, I, great comment. <laughs> okay. All right. So number four, the fourth thing that you said, um, if you can answer yes to, then you, yeah, go ahead and manage your own money. Do I have the time and long-term discipline to regularly re revisit and do the research um, on your own management? In other words, it takes a lot of time, right, Brandon? It does. Yeah, it, take, it takes a lot of time. And, and there's kind of efficiencies of scale, right? With Rex and I, it, it would, the, the amount of research that Rex and I do on the markets, economy, and, and, and the, everything else that goes with that would be absolutely ridiculous if we were just managing our own portfolios. But what's nice is then we can take that knowledge and bring that forward and use it with all of our clients and help manage clients' portfolios. And so there really are there are massive economies of scale 
when using an advisor. Okay. So Rex, uh, you know, we can do a lot of research on our own. There's this thing called the internet chat GPT. I, I think I saw chat GPT uh, built a portfolio that was crushing actually. Someone said like, build me a portfolio and it was crushing, which is fantastic. Um, how much does, you know, the business that you work for in, in the, in the, I guess all the places that you can pull from to, to get intelligence on, on financials, how does that help you build portfolios, uh, to stick to and be disciplined over time? Well, I think it's, I think it's interesting because anybody can build a portfolio with a rear view mirror, right? If you ask me to build a portfolio and you're going to, and you're going to back test the number, and, and you're just looking at a static investment, then you're going to look at whatever performed the best over the last three, five, 10, 15, 20 years, right? And that's, of course, that's what you would have invested in, duh, right? And so it's easy to invest in a review mirror. The difficulty is investing looking forward and trying to make good educated decisions on where you think the opportunities are without taking on undue risks and, you know, getting your portfolio out of balance to where if you're wrong, that you have a very expensive, costly mistake mm-hmm. that, that sometimes can be compounded with additional mistakes like selling out when, and panicking when it's low. And so I, I think that's an important thing to, to kind of keep in mind is that's, that's what we're doing is we're building portfolios looking forward, not backward. And, and we're, you know, we're managing those as we look forward, as information changes and comes to light, you know, as the Fed looks to slow down interest rate hikes, as inflation starts to, to maybe levelize a little bit, as, you know, Russia invades Ukraine, as a president gets shot, as, you know, all these different things that have happened throughout history, you know, we're, we're trying to look at that and say, okay, how does this impact things going forward? What's changing? And, and where do we need to be positioned? Where, you know, how do we skate to where the puck is, is, is what we're looking to try and do. And, and are we always right? Absolutely not, right? We're absolutely wrong sometimes, but we are right more than we're wrong. And, and not only that, but there's so many other ancillary pieces that come into managing money and strategies and, and, and looking to make sure those dollars are working efficiently for you that you're missing out if you're not working with an advisor um, that, that you may not have the experience to know what questions to ask. So part of your question was, where do you go to get information? Was that part of your question? I think Brandon. Yeah. In other words, like what, you know, what are you plugged into that? Maybe the, the every everyday investor may not have access to, or just doesn't have the time to access, you know, cause, cause that's your business. It's literally your job. And so, do you get emails every day on what's going on? Like, how do you get the information that you get and how does that affect portfolios and, and potentially how you help uh, clients invest? So yes, we get emails every day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Important ones. I mean, good ones. <laughs> that, that's what I, that's what I took from your question. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm yeah. just kidding. Yeah. But you know, we, we obviously lean on Ameriprise's research. Um, you know, they're, they're, Economist was just ranked, I believe, Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that he was just ranked either number one or top three or something like that in the nation for an economist. Number one in the in the in our industry, right? Kind of serving financial advisors and the number four worldwide. And so so he sends out something once a week or every day or something? Like 
Okay. So we, we get commentary from him every week and, and some commentary, you know, every day and certainly during, you know, big dislocations in, in the market as far as what's going on. And so we have access to that. You know, we brought him out. Um, Ameriprise brought him out to Utah um, here about two months ago to, to talk to a number of clients. And, and so, you know, we, we do get access to that. But we also have, you know, access to, to other professionals in the industry, other economists, you know, other market strategists, quali- quantitative and qualitative strategists. Uh, you know, we have access to additional investment research from, you know, from many firms, whether it be Morningstar, um, you know, S&P Research and, and you know, Thomson Reuters and things that, you know, First Call and, and many others. And so most people can gain access to that research. It just takes money. Right. And then it takes the time to know what you're looking for. And, and it takes, you know, that that experience and, and knowledge to to understand what you're reading and, and how to apply it to your investment portfolio. And, and that does take some some time. Right. Investing is not all science or else there would be a perfect portfolio that everybody in the world would be invested in. It's an inefficient market. That is, you know, I always like to say is half art and half science. And so you need to have a talent and, and a little bit of skill for investing in addition to to the scientific, you know, or, or mathematical knowledge, financial knowledge in how to assemble those portfolios. All right, Rex, help me. Help me sell this. Um, help because, you sell this. Yeah, because okay. some of your hardest clients are maybe those who are numbers people, mathematicians or accountants or something, you know, right? And they're, I'm going to assume that they probably think that they know they can figure it out on their own. They can manage their own, their own accounts. And so my question would be, well, what's your time worth? Right. And so is it still worth it to just pay somebody like, like you, like a financial planner to still, to do all that for you? So you don't have to worry about it. Like what's your time worth? Yeah. And I think, I think it comes down to the individual. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we work, you know, the, the example we like to use a lot is engineers, Right. Because they they typically are very methodical. They typically have the processes in place. You know, they do their research. They you know, and, and so they, they spend a lot of time. They come to us with lots and lots of different spreadsheets um, with extremely complex formulas most of the time. Do they, do they really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you what, know, and, and so they want to analyze what they're doing. Yeah. Right. And and so we'll we'll look at it. And and if they want to do it on their own, that's great. We'll kind of point out, you know, did you think of this? Did you think of that? And, and they're like, well, I I got around that by doing this. And I'm like, well, you can't really get around that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not yeah. something, you know, so like somebody was using straight line inflation. I don't pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Or tax rates will never change. OK. And yeah, it's yeah. like, well, yeah. but what if tax rates do change? Right. Then then how does that impact all of your financial prognostication? Right. Right. Uh, All your forecasts. And uh, and and so it's it's always kind of interesting. And and there's certain personalities that just are not good fits. Right. Right. For us. And and life is too short to work with, you know, to to work with people that are contentious and to work with people that are, you know, that that are always kind of battling at the same time. You know, we we welcome the challenge. We welcome that sometimes those conversations are extremely stimulating and and kind of fun to have on on some of those conversations. Well, yeah. What what how many times has someone come to you and and they were managing their own money and it didn't go well and then they finally made the call? 
lot. Lots of times. Yeah. 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 There's, there's plenty of times to where, you know, a couple of things will happen. Either somebody will come to us and we'll manage part of the money. They'll manage part of the money. Um, and, and then they find out that they really aren't putting as much time, effort and energy into it as they thought, um, or they don't enjoy it or they value their time more than what the cost is. Um, and so then, then they end up changing directions and, and just kind of, you know, reviewing it and, and letting us manage it and, and, you know, kind of handing those reins over on, on the other hand, you get some people that, that will, you know, come to us, come for advice, we'll evaluate the portfolio, we'll give them some advice and then they'll go off and try and do it on their own for a while. And then they'll come back and, and see that it really, you know, that our portfolios have changed and modified and, and kind of, you know, adjusted to the times and they're still in that static portfolio. Right. And, and therefore they've lost out on some of that, some of those changes and some of that, that performance over time. Okay. Well, flip side, how many times have you run into a client where you're like, Oh my gosh, you're crushing. Keep doing what you're doing. You don't even need us. Right. So I'll take this. So sometimes it's happened, right. And, and they'll come and they'll have a portfolio. That's just like, there's just like blowing it away. Right. And the question is, was that luck or is it repeatable? And, you know, I, I had a client that was doing that and, and just it, multiple times, actually, I've had clients come to me and think that they figured out like a, like a nuance to the market, right? We do this, we do this, we do this, and we get profits and do it over and over and over again. And, uh, and unfortunately, without fail, multiple stories of this, they'll then tell their friends, they'll tell, you know, they'll, they'll start other people getting into it. And then it'll just, it, it, they didn't know everything going on, right? Mm -hmm. They missed, they missed a piece of it and, and collapsed not only their portfolio, but someone else's. And so that comes down to understanding the risk, right? Rex said, you know, we're not always right. We're wrong sometimes. And, and he's right. However, when we're wrong, we make sure that when we're wrong, it doesn't destroy a portfolio. We make sure that those risks are covered. And so that, you know, one company going bad or five companies going bad isn't going to blow us up, right? We're going, we're going to be just fine. Um, and, and, and understanding the risk and understanding the return is incredibly important. Because at the end of the day, if, if your goal is to dramatically outpace the market consistently, it just doesn't happen. If it did, everyone would do it, right? Okay. Um, and, and so it's important, it's important to understand where return is coming from. So Brandon, how do you um, prevent, um, so there's a lot of famous people who were involved in the, in the downfall of this latest uh, crypto king guy who took a crap. What's his, what was the name of his company? Was it FNX? Uh, it's yeah. something, but I mean, big names, uh, I think Shaquille O'Neal got served papers and some others who, who were like, because they endorsed investing in, in his crypto company or whatever. Uh, yeah, he was in the Bahamas or whatever, hanging out or, or I don't remember where he was, but, he, but he's in, he's in trouble. So, so people that are, have status, have access to, to Pete, to people, to make decisions for them, to help, uh, to make good decisions still got caught up in, or can get caught up in, uh, inadvisable investments, I guess. And so how, how do you guys steer clear of that type of thing? We don't take on dentists. <laughs> That's not true at all. No, sorry. That was probably an inappropriate joke, but I can't tell you how many times dentists have just signed up for the worst 
the worst. Is that true? Really? They just they just dive in, huh? They're just constantly. I don't know. And it's it might just be a weird microcosm. Like secret rebels. They just like to invest in all the things. We don't know. Honestly, what I think it is 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 there's a stigma, right? Hey, they've got money, and I think they get approached um yeah. by bizarre oh, uh, yeah. investment deals. And and the, the fraud, the world of financial fraud is still alive and well, right? Ponzi schemes are not mm -hmm. done. It was FTX, um, by the way. Yeah, FTX. Sam Bankman-Fried, well, FTX. Yeah. 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 It, and so I think it's important to understand, again, it comes down to risk. How? What is the process? What are we buying? What do we own? What is the process of managing it? Um, but yeah, I, you have to absolutely understand it. And, and we'll have clients come to us and they'll say, hey, here's my deal, right? I was talking to a neighbor usually or a brother-in-law or something, and, and he can get me a guaranteed you know, 8% or guaranteed 9%. And and you have to say, well, well, what, how is that guarantee coming, right? Who is guaranteeing it? What is backing mm -hmm. this? Because really it's not, I mean, it's not FDIC insured, right? And so what happens if, you know, and, and just working through those questions, um, it's important that, that things, there are processes, there's diversification, and that we understand exactly, just like kind of like Warren Buffett stuff, right? You have to understand what you own and why you own it. Um, in order in order to really feel comfortable and be able to ride through the downturns. Yeah, we were talking about that before the podcast. There's five hours of the annual shareholders meeting for Berkshire Hathaway on YouTube. So if you want like all the all the gems, go check that out. Um, it's good listening. It's five hours of your time. Brandon, do you have some more numbers? I don't think we hit it in the last podcast. No, we don't. I so I took the best of the two. So okay, <laughs> uh, bespoke bespoke research. They uh, so there's a saying out there, and uh, tell me if have you heard of it? Sell in May and go away. No, yeah. what is this? Sell in May and go away. Kind what of the that? theory. The theory is that you know May is a bad month. Okay, to invest in. So just sell all your stuff in May. And then go away, right? Okay. And then and then come back and invest it later. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Bespoke Research did. Wait, some... wait. Let me finish the saying really quick. It's sell away. You know, it, it's it's go away or go away. Sell in May, and it's remember to reinvest in September or something like that. And <laughs> and so to kind of get back in, so you essentially take the summer months off. And, and anyhow, that's, so it's something, so it, it, there's a good rhyme in there. As so if the market, the market doesn't go up in the summer. Is that what they're trying to say? Well, they're saying that because people go on vacation that, yeah. you know, that historically there was a period of time where the summer months were, were a little bit underperforming. And when we say underperforming, it might be by 1%, you know, over the other months. Right. And so it's not like, Oh, you're going to get zero during these months, and you're going to get ten percent during these other months. It it was a minor, minor difference, but but because no, people I, take listen, vacations and I love yeah, these guys who come on the financial cha channels and they like. Um, and this is not necessarily what you guys do because um, you don't probably don't sell that much and you know th that frequently or whatnot. But they'll come on the financial channels and they'll it's random stats like that, right? And they'll come out and they'll say like, well, six months before an election this happens or, or two months after a new president, this happens, you know, and they have all these things that they base, like the market will typically do this and that, and they're, and they're trying to time it and all that. That's, is that, that's not what you guys do, right? 
<laughs> no, that, that no, but people do it. You're right. And, and, and it, it. Gets, it gets back. It's give. It's back to what I was talking about. People will like try. They'll hindsight it, right? They'll look in the past and say, "Man, what patterns are there?" And I remember as a child, before I even knew about financial advising, I was like, "There's got to be a pattern, right? There's got to be. A, I'm going to study the Great Depression. I'm going to figure out what this pattern was, and that every time the market crashes, this probably happens first, and then I'll be able to, you know, make all this money." That's not how it wait, works. But you I, did that as a child? Yeah, as a kid, you I were, thought about that. I mean, no, I didn't actually child, do it. Brandon. No, not I didn't do it. I thought about it. I was like, there's got to be a pattern. There's got to be something, right? Um, and obviously, I never actually found it. No, but, but people still... Uh, People will still look at those. And the the only issue is that, you know, you never step in the same river twice. Uh, you know, thank you, philosophers. That's the problem. Future yeah. events are uncertain. Right. We have new dictators. We have new, you know, I mean, there's just so many new things going on in the world that, that just because one plus three plus X equaled 10, I mean, X changes, right? Like the, the formula is constantly changing and evolving. So anyway, back to the numbers. The, the sell in Maine go away. Um, Bespoke Research did um, some looking into it and said since 1945, the S&P's median performance is 1% positive in May. Of all of the times, it was positive 60% of the time, but the average was up 1%. And then, and so you might say, well, what if, you know, what if we have a really strong first part of the year like we've had this year, right? January through April was really strong you know, because it's run up, does that mean May might be low? And so we sell it away. Well, they actually, they looked at that stat too. They said, when the S&P has started out the year positive, the median has been 1.2% in May and, and also positive 67% of the time. Now I'm not saying this is like, use this as your investment. And so, you know, go buy in May if the market has been positive. The, the reality is, is things are just always changing and, and people love static recommendations because it just makes it easy and easy to understand yeah and unfortunately it's a complex subject and so when someone gives you a rule like sell in may and go away it's so tempting to jump on that and say perfect i'll do that but you're likely going to miss out some opportunity uh well that's a let me follow up on that brandon um i forgot my question it just slipped <laughs> out of the top of my head I was like, I was so excited to ask this question and then I lost it. While you're thinking of your question, right? I think it is interesting how many people that that manage their own money hear a statistic like that and make investment decisions based off those statistics that are, you know, if you change the measuring period, that statistic changes, right? You can use statistics to prove about anything that you want in life. I mean, if, if, you know, college statistics class taught me anything, it taught me that. And uh, so it taught me not to trust statistics <laughs> and, and the 80, you know, 87 percent of them you know, are made up on the spot, including that one right there. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I do think I do think it's interesting how many people that are managing their own money will will look at that and say, oh, but the year, you know, the, the election year is 83 percent, whatever the number is percent positive during that year. Right. And so therefore I'm going to get invested during the, even if it's a presidential year, you know, or, or second term, or, you know, they have all these different things tied to, to everything under the sun between politics to weather patterns 
to, you know, months of the year, all of that. And, and so it's, it's just easy to get lost in, in fairly meaningless statistics. And it's also, it's, it's where people will, because if you're a newsletter, if you're an investment newsletter and you're trying to get subscribers, you need some headlines, right? And so, so what are the headlines? Last time this happened was two years before the great depression, right? Or last time this hasn't happened, but, but, but what's hard is, is, I mean, things are random, right? That didn't necessarily cause it correlate if there's one thing i learned from college stats it's the causation (laughs) correlation yeah correlation are not tied right just because it's correlated doesn't mean that that's what caused it and so i think that you know when you're investing making sure that you're remaining static and remaining you know neutral on things it's it's important to take big picture um and you can drill into individual things but you have to make sure that you don't base you don't swing for the fences right and that's that is where the most financial plans I've ever seen get blown up is when someone swings for the fences. They say, I know XYZ company is just going to go through the roof. I'm putting all my money there. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I know this strategy and they do it. And, and you know what, there's their, their assumption may have been correct, but then something else changes that they couldn't have foreseen and, and it all blows up. And so I, I tell people that even if we had all the analytics in the world, and the best analysts in the world and, and teams going over it, which we pretty much do, right? Via, you know, all, all the yeah. things we subscribe to, we still can't predict the future. And so ultimately it comes down to how do you build a portfolio that can withstand the downturns that are sure to come as well as capitalize and take advantage of, of up markets when they're here as well. How do you do that? Well, you do that through a disciplined investment process. Oh my gosh. I remember, I remember my question percentage what brandon what is the percentage of money someone and this is all relative of course someone should you know let a manager manage or help with or whatever versus how much they should um sort of um invest on their own and play and play with i guess most most of our clients have us manage all of it just because why, why would, you know, if you got a million dollar portfolio, why would you take a hundred thousand dollars if you're not going to manage it as well? Well, well, because you think that you can uh, invest it, go to Vegas or whatever, or, or do, or day trade and and hit it big. And so you're going to take a percentage of that and self-manage it. And for fun, that's pretty, what's your fun money budget essentially, right? right? The money you can afford to lose um, because we're going to give, we're going to give a professional the money we want. We don't want to lose and then maybe lose what? 1%, 10%? Yeah. Hi- highly dependent on the financial plan, right? How much can yeah. you, you nailed it, right? How much can you afford to lose? That's wholly dependent on the plan. Some people can't afford to lose anything and mm-hmm. we need to be very careful with how we manage their money. Other people can afford to lose quite a bit, a large sum, right? And and do they have the stomach to do it? If so, then then yeah, we, we can do that. Um, and, so yeah. And Rex, how much like... How, how much, how much like as a percentage, and this is, it's all relative. You got to talk to your client and stuff. Um, Cause someone's like going to say, yeah, but I'm passionate about say horse riding or horse racing and I'm going to buy a horse and that's 10% of my overall portfolio or something or whatever. You know what I mean? Like what's your feedback when somebody comes, comes at you with something like that? You know, I, I, I think everybody's different. And so it, it does depend, but I, 
as long as their financial plan numbers work, even with that added risk, or if we take that out of the financial planning numbers and we just subtract it out in case that goes to zero, right? The horse dies. Um, then, then, then Which that's okay. Like seven times last weekend, by the way. I heard that yeah. that happened seven times last weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was Derby week. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so I, I think that's okay. I think if it is something that you're passionate about, I think that there's a benefit, a mental benefit and a longevity and a quality of life benefit to keeping yourself mentally acute, to keeping yourself mentally engaged and mentally active. And if that passion is the market and is managing your own money and investing and, and, and taking some risk, then, and you're in a financial position to do so, then I think that's okay to do with five to 10% of, mm-hmm. of your portfolio. Um, and, and I see people that will come to us that are doing that on occasions. And, and we have some clients that do that on occasions. Now, the reality is that they're probably taking significantly more risks with that five to 10% than what we're taking with the other 95% mm-hmm. of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so the difficult thing emotionally becomes that they outperform us, especially in those big bull markets. And then they confuse, you know, short-term risk and performance with the the safety net and the longevity of the plan Mm -hmm. and and that's where people can get in trouble and so you know typically if somebody's doing that we recommend that that you rebalance that weighting back to kind of that five to ten percent at at some calendar point whether it be the end of each year whatever whatever the case is um so that you're again keeping that amount that you're checking you know, in, in check so that that 5% doesn't grow to 40% of the portfolio and you're taking five times the amount of risk with that money than what your plan can really tolerate. Mm. And, and so that's where it gets out of alignment. Okay. All right. Let's dive into the, the fourth question that you need to ask yourself. And if you can say yes to this, go ahead and manage your own money. Uh, will my portfolio stay within a percent or two of a professionally managed portfolio? Brandon, speaking of, you know, the, the numbers here, where, where are we at? How good are is the everyday person versus a professionally managed portfolio? So I kind of stole my thunder already on this one. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. That's Sorry. okay. Yeah. Sorry. But, but, you know, how good are individuals? It depends on the individual, you know, and, and, and some, some can be good, some not so much. What I guess I caution, being a 401k advisor, right, we have, several, uh, quite a few actually 401k plans that, that I help manage. And I'll go in and, and it's crazy. Like sometimes you'll get one person that is running around, like talking to everybody about the investment portfolios. And he's essentially becoming a financial advisor, telling all these people what to buy and what to sell. And I'll hear the rationale behind it. And it's crazy. I had one, I, I don't know, was worried about I, not to go into specifics, but essentially people will get in their mind these different ideas of, of what um, what a good investment strategy is. And they'll run around and tell everyone else around them and everyone will follow. Right, and, right, right. And, you know, that, well, that's fascinating. And so where does that come from? I think it comes from, again, like I said before, I think people want to understand, you know, and, and you can understand. There's nothing stopping you from understanding exactly what we're doing. It just takes a little bit more time and discipline. And if someone can tell you in two sentences, a theory or a hypothesis, that feels way better, right? Buy this because this happened and I think this will happen in the future, right? And it just, you can get your head around it, you know, versus going through a properly diversified 
cross-section, you know, making sure you're not overweight in any one sector, making sure everything is 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 diversified and we're not overexposed anywhere. I mean, that that gets a little bit in the weeds and boring. But man, when your friend can tell you, buy this, put all your money in this mutual fund, um, because this is going to happen in the future, you know, people get behind it. And we see that with gold, we see it with, you know, individual stocks, we see it all over the place. And so, I don't know. The the other thing too that I see is is someone will will build out a portfolio that they think is really good. And, and let's say it is, let's say it is a good portfolio for them. His portfolio is not necessarily good for someone who's 20 years older than him. Right. And, and so you've got to make sure that you're taking into account age, but also financial plans, right? Even two people who are 50 years old might have a completely different financial plan with different risk tolerances. And, and, and so, I mean, there's so many factors to take into mind taking, you know, investment advice from a coworker is typically one of the worst ways to do it. <laughs> so, well, Rex, I was I was going to ask, like, because there's the there's the performance of the actual uh, investment, right? But then there's the overall financial picture. And so, can you explain the difference between the two? Because the friend giving advice or coworker giving advice has no idea what the overall picture is for someone, perhaps. Right. I uh, the difference is is you know the the individual investment has its own rate of return for that individual investment but but then you have other outside investments that may not be in a retirement plan they may not you know they may be in an IRA a Roth IRA it may be a non-qualified or non-retirement account you know you may have savings you may have CDs you may have all these other pieces that are part of the the complex puzzle and and that's what you're doing on planning is you're you're setting a target rate of return. Now that doesn't mean that you're having to, you know, that, that you're going to get a straight line. If your target rate of return is 6%, doesn't mean you're going to get 6% every year. It means that you may get, you know, 10, one year minus five, one year, and, and, you know, it'll be, be all over the map, but you're trying to average that, that rate of return over time in order to meet the cash flow distributions that you need throughout retirement. And, and that's what you're, you're trying to get your portfolio to do. And that's why if all of a sudden, you start taking a, a flyer on on part of your portfolio and and that doesn't work out that may severely handicap your ability to hit that target rate of return that you need to hit your retirement goals now part of that is is you know how how tight is your plan to that goal to that rate of return you know do we do we have it extremely dialed in tight to where if you're getting, you know, a target rate of five and a half versus six, then, then you fall, you know, really, really short. That's a pretty tight plan. And, and so, or is it something that we're targeting six because that's the risk level that you're comfortable with, but really we could hit three and we would be just fine. Right. Because we have enough assets there to do it. And, and so it really is going to come down to that individual plan. But I, I think one of the things that I see as far as the biggest mistakes when somebody's managing their own money is they have, you know, a handful of mutual funds from different fund families, you know, out there that are 90 percent overlapping. They all own the exact same stocks. Mm -hmm. and, and so they think they're diversified because they have five different names on their statement and they think that they've done their research you know, because they all have, you know, these great historical rate of returns during the same market period because they're all invested in the exact same things. And, and so they think that that's a great way to manage that portfolio when in reality, you know, the next time the market shifts and you go through a different cycle to where something else performs and that grossly underperforms, 
then you've done an enormous disservice and you, and you really don't recognize the amount of risk that you're taking by having that concentrated the way that you have. Mm -hmm. And I think that tends to be the most common, you know, mistake of people managing their own money that I see. So. And we talk, we talk about writing a portfolio out, right? If we hit a 2008 type environment, that can we write it out? On a well-diversified portfolio, the answer is yes. Yeah, we can write it out. If you've, if you've done just like Rex said, right, and, and bought five mutual funds that have different names but effectively are invested in the same thing, and that sector is going to be damaged for a decade or two, you can't write that out. Like you're just – you just have to take the loss. And, and There's literally still technology funds that people bought in 99 for that example, Brandon, that bought in 99 – yeah, the 2000 tech crash that today are still significantly underwater from that 99 purchase, right? I mean, that's a great example of exactly what you're explaining. Right. You can't just write anything out. And I think that comes down to, have you done your research? Have you really built out your portfolio intentionally and cross-checked it and made sure everything is, is diversified the way you think it is so that when times get tough, that you can have that resilience to be able to write it out? Okay, so to wrap up this episode of Through the Pines, should I manage my own money? Brandon, as a financial planner, do you manage your own money? <laughs> yes, but I actually do. I, I run most of my big decisions by Rex. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's good to have a friend. It's good to have a, a financial advisor, right? And even though, I mean, I'm completely trained in this, right? I, I advise other people. It still is so helpful mentally for me just call up Rex and say, hey, Rex, this is what I'm thinking. Tell me if I'm crazy. Yeah. So then Rex, as the senior advisor here, do you manage your own money? So the answer to that would be in a way, yes, um, because I manage our portfolios, right? Mm -hmm. Brandon and I manage our portfolios together and, and my money is invested along with, you know, in the similar manner to, to our clients. And so in, in a way, I, I would say yes. Um the reason I do it that way is because I am also human and I'm susceptible to getting emotional about my own money. It's a really easy for me to not be emotional about Brandon's money or our Brandon's money. Um, you know, but it is difficult for me not to be emotional about my own money, even with all the experience, even with, you know, everything that I know about the markets, it's still a difficult battle that you have to kind of fight. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, you know, I just, do it the same way that, that we do with clients for my own personal risk tolerance. And so I, I think if there's one takeaway from this podcast, well, there's lots of them, but if there's one <laughs> takeaway from this podcast, it's that I heard Brandon say, it's good to have a friend that's also a financial advisor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Anything else, Rex, on uh, managing your own money? No, I think uh, if you're having questions or, uh, you know, about that, then you ought to contact us and, and we can kind of talk through this in a little bit more detail for your specific situation. If you just want a second set of eyes on it, if you just want to, to bounce some ideas off somebody, we're here for you. So awesome. Okay. The, the other thing too, is we don't, I mean, we, we really try and keep money liquid, right? And so if, if mm -hmm. we have plenty of clients who, who will say, hey, let's try it. We'll try it for five months. If you don't like it, try it for a month. If you decide, hey, this isn't what I what I wanted, roll it back out. You know, we 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 don't we're not handcuffing you 
to our ideas and clarification. Yeah. My money is invested in our portfolios, right? My, yeah. my personal retirement accounts, my other accounts, literally all of it is invested in the same manner that we would advise our clients to invest. And that feels good too. You know, I tell people these portfolios mean everything to us, right? I mean, this is not only, not only your money, but it's my money is invested the same way. My family, friends, I mean, clients, this, we really have a vested interest in making sure that we're, we're doing the best we can with the money. Good stuff. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, okay, so this has been Through the Pines, our financial wizards this episode. Plan with Baxter.com. Rex Baxter, Brandon Smith, thanks so much for joining us. You can like our Facebook page, follow our Instagram at pines underscore podcast. Best thing to do so you can see our wonderful, beautiful faces is to just, is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Through the Pines Podcast. This has been Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams. Mm-hmm.